Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. All right, lots to get into why people are coming back from dropping off their kids. Um, first of all, good morning, Christ Community Church. Um, I love this time of year. I'm really tired, so the sermon may stink, but it will be short because I'm so tired. But I love this time of year. I love the weather. It's football, scary movies. You know, it's, it's fantastic. I, I could live in October all year long. Um, uh, Mom and Dad aren't here. Uh, they have been spending all weekend at Dad's family reunion in Kentucky. And so that is where uh, they are. Um, a couple things, again, I always want to remind you that be sure to pick up a bulletin. If you've got kids or grandkids who are back there, you want to take this and discuss it with them. What we'll discuss today will be on here, and you can discuss with your kids. Um, also, to pay attention to the prayer list. And this thing goes to print typically on Tuesday afternoon. Um, so some things fall through. One of the people I want you to add to your prayer list is one of my good buddies who attends here. Uh, you'll know his name. He's usually five minutes late to the sermon, and um, that's Jay Vastine. And uh, Jay's a good friend, and he was baptized here. And Jay had what they're calling an incident uh, at his gym where he was working out, and they don't really know what happened. And then it happened again when he was in the hospital, and they sent him home without a diagnosis. So they're sending him tomorrow to Columbus for some tests, so be praying uh, for that because every text I get from him is, yeah, feeling better, everything's fine, thank you, all that kind of stuff. But, but uh, Jay would be the last person to say that he's, he's just scared and doesn't know what's going on. And it's always scary when you don't know what's going on. And so be praying uh, for him. Uh, say a little prayer for this pastor Two, it's going to be really hectic when I get done here. i got to race home, record a podcast, uh, type up a quick two-page paper for my Ph.D. program, uh, type up a PowerPoint for a presentation in uh, class tomorrow, and then I have staff meeting on Tuesday and small group on Tuesday night, and then that means this for all of you and all of you watching at home online. Wednesday, do not have a pastoral emergency. I'm sleeping in. Okay. All right, so if you're going to have one, at least make sure it's past noon because, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting up till 9 or 10, and then, you know, you want me to have two cups of coffee or otherwise I'm more incoherent than I usually am. So this morning we're looking at, you know, Exodus 35 through 40 and the tabernacle. Now, if you don't know what the tabernacle is, that's okay. Um, but for those of you who have been here for a while, you may remember that once upon a time out in the atrium we had a tabernacle. We had a mock-up of the tabernacle, big tent, all that kind of stuff where you could walk through and see what it was like. The whole point of the tabernacle was that God wanted to be with his people, but there's a problem. People know they're sinful, and when people know they're sinful and they're in the presence of a holy God, they get scared. They get scared, and people still get scared by the presence of the Lord, and in some ways they should. Because they feel that, that they are impure, they are not right. And this, 
this being, this all-powerful being who you can't negotiate with and you've got nothing to negotiate with to begin with because what are you going to give the God who owns everything, including you? The Bible's very clear. He made you. He knitted you together in mother's womb. He made you. He owns you. You have absolutely no negotiating power there. You know, I know that some of you have grown up in a place where if you squirt a few tears, you know, people will just bend over backwards to do what you want. It doesn't work with God. You can't fool him. He knows exactly what you're thinking. It doesn't work. And yet, he still wants to be with us. So he said, okay, here's what we'll do. Moses, you and the boys, you're going to build this mobile tent. And the priests can come so far. Aaron can come into what's called the Holy of Holies. And my glory, that means like this intensified presence of God will be there. And they could see it. They could see the cloud during the day. They could see a fire, a fire, a spear of fire within the cloud at night. And they could see it there. And they were afraid, but they were also comforted because they knew wandering around in the desert for 40 years, if any trouble would come to them, and some trouble did, that God is with them. The most powerful being in the universe is with them. And that's the point. And I'm going to run through this here in a minute, but I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. That hasn't changed. That really hasn't changed. You may think it has. You may say, well, day to day, that's not my experience, but it hasn't change. And I'll run through that here in a second. But I want to I do this too. A couple things. I am always amazed at how obsessed atheists are with Christianity. You would think they wouldn't care. They don't believe in God. They don't share your faith. So you would think that they would just be like, eh. But no. You want to talk to the angriest people you've ever met. It's typically atheists who were raised in the church. Just absolutely nasty. Years ago when I was doing apologetic training, which is defense of the faith stuff, you know, I, I would engage these atheists. And one of them, he was one of what they called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There was four atheists who were very outspoken. Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, um, Christopher Hitchens, and Richard Dawkins. And Richard Dawkins would go all over the world. Universities would invite him in, and he'd come in, he'd speak. And he'd talk about, you know, how ridiculous, you know, faith in God is and all this other kind of stuff. And just nasty you know, I, I watched him once do a Q&A, and this young girl, she couldn't have been more than 19, probably a freshman at the college he was speaking at, and she said, Dr. Dawkins, which, by the way, he's a zoologist, not a philosopher, and he said, Dr. Dawkins, you know, you said this, but she challenged him on a point, and he just rolled his eyes in front of 2,000 people, and he looked at her, and he said, you just believe that because you were raised in the church. I quit wasting my time and sit down. I'm like, okay, you're a lot of fun at parties, aren't you, buddy? 
But I meet these people, and they're just obsessed with trying to break down faith and all this other kind of stuff. And it, it took me a long time to say, why? What, what is the big deal? It's like, look, you may disagree with me, but I don't believe in Bigfoot. I'm sorry. I just don't. I think it would be cool if he existed, but I just don't think he does. I think at this point we'd have a corpse. You know, we've got enough. I'm telling you this much. Bigfoot doesn't exist in Ohio, Kentucky, or West Virginia. Because some redneck on the opening day of Deer Day, he would have bagged that sucker. Right? And they're always like, well, they die in the wild and they decompose. It's like, you've never been to West Portsmouth. They get that thing out of the woods before a thing decomposes. They got it. They've tagged it. Look at Hank, what I got. Um, so I, I don't believe in Bigfoot. But I don't go around. And did you know one of the most popular Bigfoot documentaries was shot in Portsmouth? Have you seen it? It's pretty funny. Not your typical Bigfoot movie. I used to own the DVD, but I gave it to my son because when he left for college, I wanted him to appreciate where he grew up. Um, so <laughs> it's on Amazon. But anyway, you know, and I see these, I still see some of those guys in the documentary. I'll see them, you know, at a store or something. I don't walk up to them and go, how dare you? You're ruining this country. You're ruining this nation. I don't care. He believes in Bigfoot. That's how he wants to spend his spare time. Fine. You know, I mean, if you ask my advice, I'd suggest pizza and football. But whatever. That's how he, that's how he wants to roll. I don't care. And so I was thinking about this a lot. I was like, why is it? And Richard Dawkins was raised in the church. Why is it that so many atheists only want to talk about the Christian faith and bag on it? And it occurred to me. Because I've dealt with this many times. I've dealt with it personally when I was a younger guy, and I've dealt with it as a pastor. Somebody ends a relationship. Let's say boyfriend, girlfriend. One breaks up with the other. And typically, if they've spent enough time together, the one who is on the receiving end of the breakup, it is the apocalypse. Right? And they can say they're fine all they want, but you know they're not because it's all they want to talk about. Right? For weeks, that's all they want to talk about. And they obsess over it. Eventually, they typically get over it, but it still brings up a, a sore spot. Do you know what the problem with angry atheists are? Is that one time, they were in the midst of the presence of God, and on the one hand, they wanted their independence from that presence but on the other hand, they can't live without it. And they're angry about it. Really angry about it. Because we were created to be in the presence of God. God wants to be with his people. And I, that sounds so simple. It, it sounds so bumper sticker-ish. But, but I, you know, I think that because we spend so little time thinking about God... And we spend so much time thinking about what we've got to get done today and, and you know, what's going to make us happy and all this other kind of stuff. And we spend so little time thinking about God. Then we do get to God, especially when we think about the times we have sinned 
we tend to think of God as angry. He's sitting up in his throne in heaven, and he's looking down at you and going, so disappointed. But the biblical picture is not that. The biblical picture is, I want to say this again. I want you to think about this for a second. He wants to be with his people. He wants to be with you. Let me show you. Let's start here. In Genesis 3.8, when Adam and Eve have screwed up, they go hide in the bushes. When God shows up, where is he? Is he? Does he announce in a loud, booming voice from his throne in heaven, how dare you? No. He's walking in the garden with them. He's in the garden with Adam and Eve, literally walking. And now we get the tabernacle. He rescues the Israelites from slavery. He brings them out, leads them into the desert. They almost immediately commit the ultimate sin Moses goes up in the mountain to meet with God. And even when God descends upon the mountain, the mountain shakes. The people are afraid. They tell Moses, hey, you talk to him, keep him away from us. And so Moses goes up, and he's up there for some time. And they're like, what happened? They're like, well, we need a God. And so they fashion the golden calf, and they start worshiping this golden calf. I don't know what they called it. But, and so God says, you've got to be kidding me. And yet, despite all that, what does he do? Just a little while later, he says, I want you to build a place where they can see me 24-7. I am there. They will know that I am present, that despite their sins, despite their grumbling, I want to be with them. Then the Israelites get to their nation. They sin again. The Spirit of God leaves the nation of Israel, but promises to come back. And it does, but in a very different way than they were expecting. God comes and tabernacles again, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the living tabernacle of God. It is the presence of God, the glory of God, who has returned to his people. Once again, walking among his people. And when Jesus, after his death and his resurrection, he ascends back to his throne in heaven, and what does he promise? I'll come back. But in between that, he's still tabernacling with his people. God is still present. Where? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.19, Ephesians 2.21-22, through 22, he's tabernacling within us. Anyone who has repented and come to faith, been baptized, professes faith in Jesus Christ, strives with the aid of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus Christ, God's Spirit is within you. And then what we're supposed to do is to come together and be 
this large tabernacle, and then go out and show the world what that looks like. Now, I do have to warn, there are some caveats. The book of Revelation makes this very clear, and if you don't believe me, go read Revelation 1 through 3. It doesn't matter how many people attend, and it doesn't matter if there's a sign out front that says church. The Bible makes it very clear that's not necessarily a church. Jesus says to the seven churches, if you don't do these things, if you don't repent of these things, like he says, if you don't repent, if you don't return to your first love, which means putting God first and loving each other, he says, if you, if you continue to teach this heresy, this something called from the Nicolaitan, some kind of weird thing, he says, if you continue to do that, he says, I will take my lampstand, which is from the tabernacle, and I will yank it from that church. What that means is Jesus will no longer attend your church, which means, according to the Bible, that's no longer a church. That's a religious country club. That's a self-help group, whatever it is, but it ain't a church. I've been meeting with Nathan Wolf and Scott Carter once a week. Nathan wants to be a pastor. Uh, I've kind of dragged Scott into it. And so we meet on Thursdays and talk about what it means to be a pastor. And one of the things we looked at this week was in James 3.1, the brother of Jesus writes, those of you who preach and teach, you will be more harshly judged. I keep that in mind every week. That's why you'll hear me say quite a few times when I'm going through and there's like a, something kind of weird there or something we don't understand. Most of the time you'll hear me, and if I don't say it, I should. I go, in my opinion. Now, I'm a lawyer. I'm hoping that gets me off, you know, scot-free. Because I'm not saying this is scripture. I'm saying this is the best I can get. Take it for what it's worth. And my opinion ain't scripture. You take it for what it's worth. But at the end of the day, what I've been trying to get across to Nathan and Scott is this, is as a preacher, you really have an audience of one. If you make Jesus happy, you have a church. I don't care if there are five people there or 5,000. If you make Jesus happy, you have a church. If you don't, you don't. Because the presence of the Lord must be there. God wants us to be faithful, but he wants us to be faithful not just to jump through hoops and follow rules. He wants us to be faithful because he wants to be with us. You know, as a pastor, people come to me for counseling. I don't know why. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a licensed professional counselor. And I tell them that. But they'll come to me for counseling, and I've had this happen before. I've had women come to me and be like, my husband will not remain faithful. I've forgiven him once. I've forgiven him twice. I've forgiven him three times. He's cheated on me. He's cheated on me. He's cheated on me. What should I do? And I tell them all the same thing. I say, I don't know what you should do. But biblically, if you leave, you're justified. But that's up to you. But now I know, because I've been in those situations where I've counseled women, and her friends will come to me 
And the friends are always way more militant because they're not emotionally invested, but they're projecting, what would, that, what would I do if that happened to me? And so they march in there, and did you tell her it was up to her whether or not to forgive? I, <laughs> Why didn't you tell her to leave him? It's not my call. You should have told her to get out of Okay. All right, fair enough. Maybe. When God tells the Israelites, I want you to be faithful, when he tells the church, I want you to be faithful, what he's saying is the same thing. He's saying, how many times do you really think I should forgive you for your adultery and stay with you? That's what he's saying. It's not the rules. By the way, the, the rules, the laws, the commandments, whatever you want to call them, are set down by the creator of the universe who knows everything and has absolute power. So whatever he's giving you to do, it's not to hurt you, it's to help you. But he's just saying, look, he tells the Israelites over and over again, we'll see it as we go through this, as we go through the Old Testament. He warns them again and again and again. You're being unfaithful. You're following other gods. You're not respecting my word. So how much longer should I stay? It's the same thing as a marriage. It's one of the reasons why in the Bible it describes what is the relationship described between Jesus and the church as a marriage. The church is to be the bride of Christ. And we're to be faithful, knowing not just to appease an angry God, but to think a merciful God who loves us, and despite the fact that he knows every sinful thought, he wants to be with us. He loves us that much. And you're going to stumble. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. You ever been married? Ever made a mistake? If you say no, I hope you have a divorce lawyer on call. Which, by the way, I heard some, for those of you who are married, you can find wisdom in strange places. I was watching a, I was taking a break from studying, and I was watching a, uh, stand-up comic, and he was recently married, and he went to his dad. His dad's been married for 50 years. He said, Dad, how did you make it 50 years? And he said, Son, now guys, if you're married or thinking about it, listen to what I'm about to tell you. This is going to save your behind. He said, you will get angry at your wife. Never say the first thing that comes to mind. You will get angry at your wife. Do not say the second thing that comes to mind. Wait and maybe say the third. He said, because let me tell you why. You say the first thing, that's divorce. You say the second thing, that's a night on the couch. Third thing, happily ever after. That's wisdom. I'm going to keep that in mind. As I remember, it was funny, during the lockdown. Oh, man. For an introvert like me who just loves to sit home and study, the lockdown, 
thank you. I loved it. My wife, the extrovert, not so much. And um, typically, if Megan and I have an argument, you know, it ends basically with her saying, or I, I'm saying, are we okay? Are we okay? But during the lockdown, Lord forbid it ever happen again. My wife, it's scary movie season, right? My wife would get this look on her face. And I was wondering where I'd seen it. And then I rewatched The Shining. And you know those scenes where Jack Nicholson in The Shining is just going, that was a look. And those arguments wouldn't end with, are we okay? Those arguments with me going, are we okay? And she'd look at me and go, yeah. Why don't you go to sleep? I got scared. (laughs) But despite all that, this week has been interesting. Um, It's been a stressful week. A lot going on. Um, And this week, Megan was gone. Um, She flew down, took her last Saturday morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, and she flew down to Orlando for a Christian conference, the Spire Christian Conference, which was supposed to go on all week. And then this thing called Hurricane Ian came in, which, by the way, can we talk to our, the people who name hurricanes? I'm pretty sure a number of people didn't evacuate. Who's afraid of Ian? Right? You know, Hurricane Razor is coming. All right, then people get out of the way. But... She stuck there. She had to drive a box truck from the conference from Orlando to here, and she didn't get back till late last night. And I was worried about her, you know, even though she was in a conference center with a hotel and it's supposedly hurricane proof, but then they're talking about, you know, 150 mile per hour winds and tornadoes and all this other kind of stuff. So I was worried about her. But then the other thing is, is this, and hopefully this will help alleviate the shining comment. Um, I don't like it when she's gone. I don't like it. Um, Even though, because she works from home, and I work from home, and you may ask, why do I work from home? Uh, That's because, this is how my brain works. Um, If I'm reading, if I'm studying, if I'm watching a lecture or something like that, and somebody interrupts it, I lose my train of thought, and I have to go back and pretty much start all over again. And that irritates me, it drives me crazy. That's just how my brain works. And so I don't work here most, I come on Tuesdays for staff meeting and I don't come here the rest of the time because there's this 85 year old guy running around who knocks on my door every 30 minutes. I, think, oh, I gotta start again. And he's 85 and you, you know, God, I hope all of us get to live that, that long or longer. You know, but at 85, sometimes he'll knock and tell me the same thing he told me 30 minutes ago. And, and it's just like, I can't do this. And besides, nobody stops by the church building anymore. Somebody wants to reach me, they, they write, they message, they text, they, whatever. And, and so I work at home. And typically, I work from my couch. I have my laptop and my phone and my laptop 
has my Bible software on it. I've got like something ridiculous, like 7,000 books and journals on there, like 50 versions of the Bible, all this stuff. And, and so I can sit there with my laptop on my lap and, and a drink in my phone. And Megan, depending on the weather, also works at home when she's not traveling. And we've got an office upstairs, and she'll be there in the winter months. But in the spring and summer, she's out on our, we have an enclosed back deck, and that's her happy place. And she's got a fountain and plants, and she takes her demon puppies out there with her. And so, and they go out there, and I'm inside, and I can turn the news on, on mute or something in the background, or turn music on or whatever, and I can work, and I am happy. And she is there, I'm there, and, you know, Despite the fact that she will do this similar thing to dad, my wife spends almost all day on the phone for her job. And apparently, she does not know how to speak on her iPhone without it being on speaker. Which is fine if she's outside the stairs. But when she comes down to get a refill on her coffee, or she comes in to use a restroom or whatever, and she's on the phone, and I think... She thinks that she wants to make sure people hear her, so they hear her in Franklin Furnace. And she's walking through, and I just got to stop. As soon as I hear the door creak, I'm like, I've got to stop. got to rewind. You know? And that, that, that's annoying, but despite all that, it just doesn't feel right when she's not there. I don't sleep well. I don't feel good. I just like her to be there. I hope this doesn't happen to anyone, and let me warn you if it does. Let me be just very honest with you. Being, having faith in Jesus Christ, having a relationship with God, is not that dissimilar. If you walk away, you will just always feel something's wrong. Because you were designed for it, you will feel like something's off. You know, that's the problem. I want her here. God wants you to be him. But, you know, as much as I love my wife, you know, there would be a limit if I ever really screwed up. If I were ever unfaithful, Megan's made, well, Megan's made this very clear. She'd never divorce me. She might kill me. Divorce is off the table, but homicide. And, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And maybe some of you, because have this problem, Maybe it's your perception of the faith itself that's twisting this, that's distorting this. So because if you don't see it right, you're not going to get it. There was a professor at Notre Dame University, I don't know if he's still there, named Christian Smith. And he wrote a book about 10 years ago on people's attitude towards Christianity in North America. He did this huge survey. He's a sociologist. And he found this. He calls it, he said, most people in North America, when they look at Christianity, they see it as moralistic, therapeutic deism. 
Now, what he means by that is this. God has rules, and you have to obey them to be a good person. That's one. Two, church is about making you feel better about yourself. Three, God is up in his heavens, and he really doesn't care about the minutia of your life. That's how most people see Christianity. The problem with that is none of that is true. None of that is biblical. God doesn't want you to be faithful and obey rules to be a good person. He wants you to be faithful because you're in a relationship with him and you owe him that. And it's also the way we show thanks and gratitude. If you've been married, again, you know that there are things that you do for your husband or your wife just because you want to. Right? Every once in a while, I will have a study break and I will get up and realize that Megan's on like a two-hour marketing call. And so I will go get her a fresh cup of coffee. Something like that. She didn't ask me to do it. It's not a rule. It's not, I do it, why? I do it because I like her, because I love her, and here, I just do it. God wants us to be faithful to be with him, but he also wants us to show him love. He loves us. He wants us to show him the same. The same. And coming to church is not about feeling better about yourself. It's about growing closer to that God. And God is not sitting on his throne, uninterested in the little things of your life. According to the Bible, if Dad and I have been faithful, God is here. And if you have come to Christ, God is here. He's with you all the time. That's what the Bible teaches. And one of the ways we show people that God is here that he's not far away, that he does care about the little things, is for us to love and serve each other. It's one of the things we do. Even if it's not convenient for us. I, I will confess the sin. This rises almost to the level of idolatry. I spoke about working at my couch in front of my TV with my laptop, my coffee, my phone. If I didn't have to, I would never move from that spot. Why would I? I have too many streaming options. I got all the music that I want. I've got DoorDash. I got a Keurig. I'm good. Life's good, you know. But every once in a while, one of you people will have a medical emergency, and I have to get up off my couch and go to the hospital or go to your house or whatever. 
So my buddy Jay, <laughs> this is funny because it was Ricky who let me in on it. I hadn't heard anything. I found out Wednesday night. I started reaching out to Jay's family, and they said, yeah, we think this is going to, we're not sure, da 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 He's probably going to be there a few days while they run tests, all kind of stuff. I said, okay. Well, I had a meeting here at the church at 4. I thought, well, all right, I will pry myself off my couch, and I will get into my car at 2.30 and make the 15-minute drive to SOMC, and I'll spend an hour with Jay. And so I did. And her, his sister had sent me his room, and I march into his room, and nobody's there. But, well, he could be out having tests. The bathroom door's closed, lights on. Maybe he's using the bathroom. I'll just wait. So I just waited there for a minute. And finally, a nurse come by and goes, are you looking for him? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, he was discharged 10 minutes ago. I said, ah! Got up off my couch for this. Discharged. I swear, knowing Jay, he did that on purpose. But anyway, we show this to others. That's the way we show them that God is not far away. Even in our rough, fault, you know, just this flesh, somewhere within there is a spark of divinity. And that spark of divinity, if you pay attention to it, tend to it, really pay attention to it, it'll guide you to show others that God is here. Maybe not in a cloud and fire, maybe not in that dramatic. Maybe it's just sitting with someone in a hospital room. I had to I kid about the J thing, but I've had, you know, there have been times where Megan and I have had to get up 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, drive to Columbus or wherever to be with somebody who's having surgery at 6 a.m. or whatever. And I do it, and I will tell you this, whenever I think about it, I remember this. I was in seminary in Abilene, Texas, and I had a professor uh, John Willis, retired, still alive, in his 90s. And Dr. Willis was a professor of Old Testament. I've told you about him before. He's the guy who memorized the entire Old Testament in Hebrew. And Dr. Willis was not just a professor, he was also an elder at the Highland uh, Church of Christ. And I was in Dr. Willis's office one day trying to get some clarity on a paper I was working on. And the phone rang. And he puts it on speaker, and he goes, yep. And it was one of his fellow elders, and he said, just calling you to remind you that such and such is having surgery in Fort Worth tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. From Fort Worth to Abilene is about a two-hour drive. Two and a half, maybe. And Dr. Willis said, okay. And the guy goes, kind of pause, goes, you're, you're going to be there? And his response was, where else would I be? And I think about that every time somebody's having surgery and Ralph can't be there, somebody's in the hospital. I always remember that. Where else would I be? 
And Dr. Willis, one of the smartest men, was, was basically saying, this is what we do to be faithful to a God who wants to be with us. This is what we do. But in order to stay in touch with that Holy Spirit within you, you have to pay attention to it. You know, my wife will, will get upset every once in a while because she'll say, you know, her big complaint about me is, you know, sometimes you're too distant because I do kind of live in my head. I'm a nerd. And so I kind of live in my head. I'm always thinking about sermons and lessons and, and, and you know, the stuff I've got ahead of me and all other kind of stuff. And I, I have to kind of shake myself and say, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, last night I was, again, on my couch where I want to be with my laptop, football on, life is good. And my wife finally got home from Florida, and I remember thinking about that. And so after her puppies had had their chances just jump all over, which, thank the Lord, they were jumping on her, not me. What a week. Anybody want some puppies? Um, and one, one of them got fixed this week, so he's the little one. He's got the cone of shame. And he's not the brightest, you know, not the sharpest tool in the shed, so he keeps bumping that cone into everything, even stairs, trying to climb stairs. Oh, don't, uh-oh, he's just dumb. <laughs> he's dumb. Um, but <laughs> after that, what I was sure to do was turn the TV off and sit down so we could just talk before she went to bed. You know, you have to do that in marriage. You have to. You've got to sit there and communicate. You've got to spend time together. With the phone down, all that kind of stuff, you need to spend time together. It's the same way with God. You have to be aware of God's presence. You have to acknowledge God's presence. You need to speak with God. You need to worship God all the time. You don't have to speak out loud. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray. He knows what's going on in your head. That's fine. As I've said once before, you need to practice the presence of God. One of the ways to be faithful and to stay close to God is to practice the presence, to constantly remind yourself of the presence of God. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul says pray constantly. He's not talking about walking around with your hands up and yelling and screaming all day like a weirdo. You know, you don't do that in your cubicle. You don't do that. You no, know, he's just, you just talk to God. You can do that silently. You can do that out loud, whatever it is, and you pray all the time. The person who really brought this to light was a guy by the name of Brother Lawrence. That's what we know him as. That's not his real name. He came to dedicate his life to God at the age of 18. He was a friar in a medieval monastery, Catholic monastery. And Brother Lawrence, if you're a friar, you're not a priest. You're not preaching. You're not teaching. You're not doing a lot of studying. What you're doing is you're sweeping the floors. You're washing down the windows. You're cooking and serving food. You're washing dishes. This is your life of service to God. But after a while, they began to notice that Brother Lawrence, as they called him, was the happiest, most peaceful person they'd ever met. Some of these priests who 
who'd been well-trained in Greek and Latin, and they couldn't believe that this guy who had no education was so close to God. So I asked him why, and he said, simple answer, I practice the presence of God. He kept himself aware of God all the time. He prayed to God while he was washing the dishes. He was praying to God when he was sweeping the floors, praying to God when he was washing the windows, praying to God while he was cooking the food. He was constantly reminding himself of the presence of a holy God. And in that, when he died, they found his diary, diaries, a lot of them. And the priest took a number of his entries and they compiled it into a book that has been in print for hundreds of years. And it's just simply called Practicing the Presence of God. And in it, he writes this. He does not ask much of us merely to think of him. A little act of worship sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces, past and present, that he has given you, even in the midst of your troubles, so you can take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly, for he is nearer to us than we think. Do I have to say any more? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that despite our sinfulness, our selfishness, that not only are you here, that you want to be here, Unlike a sinful person like me who just wants to be comfortable, you came to earth, sought discomfort, to suffer, to be tortured, die on a cross, so that if we place our faith in you, we will be with you always. May we constantly remind ourselves that you are there and want to be there, that you love us that much, like a forgiving spouse, we are unfaithful, but you want to be with us anyway. May we be reminded of your presence, remind ourselves of your presence, so that we may become more faithful and closer to you and show others that don't believe in you that you are nearer than we think. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Guys, if you have not signed up your kids for the children's Christmas program, you need to do that uh, very quickly. Go see Jenny Hill or Kayla, and they will um, take care of that. If you are not a believer and you want to talk about it, you can come see me, or you can, if you're watching online, you can email me at pastormattr at yahoo.com. God bless you. God goes with you. Lord willing, see you next time. Christ Community Church located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.